Christmas, obviously, because we're in the holiday seasons, right? And we've been talking about that it, it's not unrealistic sometimes to have tension at Christmas, right? We're talking about lots of tensions that we can have, tension with expectations of family, expectations of our children, expectations of comparing ourselves to the neighbors who are just seemingly are doing a lot better financially than we are, right? We have tension with our spouse. We have tension with ourselves. We have tension with Santa Claus. What do I do with Santa Claus? Tension with Jesus is the reason for the season. We name the fact of people living in tension with themselves with a manger scene with Santa Claus visiting. What's up? with that, right? It's like in the, in the front yard. It's crazy stuff, right? So we live in tension with all sorts of stuff at the holiday season. And so we live in the tension because there's just so much stuff going on. So what I want to do this morning is I want to uh, show you a video clip of, of my brother-in-law, okay? He has no idea that we're showing this video clip. This was something that he just sent to Randall just between he and Randall. We figured this morning it would be fantastic just to maybe you can identify with him. Literally, if you know him, tell him I showed this. Okay, please call him and text him. Maybe video it and then email text it to him to let him know that we showed this video. It'd be hilarious. Right. But I want you to see the tension that maybe he, he's naming that maybe a lot of us feel. It's a, real, it's a real short video clip. Feel free to laugh at the end of it, okay? But I want you to see maybe just part of the tension that he experiences with the Christmas season with his kids that maybe all of us can identify with. Hayden, let's, let's hit this. Do you ever find yourself acting inappropriately towards your kids? Like, hey kids, let's go. It's time to see Santa Claus. Or, hey, get in the car. We're going to see Santa. There you go. Amen. Yes. There you go. Seriously, the tension, right? Please tell him I showed that. I was hoping he was going to be here this morning at Shaka. But anyway, so, so there's Christmas, right? And that's funny, but the reality is how many of us have these moments we have an expectation of what Christmas is going to feel like or something's going to feel like, and it doesn't follow through, right? And we find ourselves, we'll be perfect parents, and we're not, right? So we live in this tension of what Christmas can, what it should be, what it should feel like, what it should be, and we live so often... And the tension of Christmas, maybe missing the point, not being what it should be, right? And we've named, we said Christmas should be about worshiping fully, spending less on things that don't matter, giving more to things that do. And this morning, we're going to talk about this nature then of, of loving all. But we so live in the tension that Christmas isn't what it's supposed to be. In fact, this week, uh, we were, I was riding around with Anna Catherine. I think it was actually last night. If you watch some church over off of... Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember what church it was, but some church over off of Mars Hill was doing a live nativity last last couple of nights, and they had one of those like spotlights that spin, right? So it like goes up into the sky. It was perfect for. It. How many of you saw that spotlight? You may see that spotlight. Yeah, yeah. So we said, let's go find it. Literally, it's one of those nights that it was. You know, last night was really warm, so we we're actually outside riding bikes in the in the cul-de-sac, right? And and the lights going off. And Catherine goes, Daddy, what's that light? And I think UFO, right? And so I start running out there. I'm like, UFO. Oh, dang it. So we walk out there, and it's one of those, like, spinning lights, right? And so I'm like, let's go find it, right? Let's go find this spinning light. So, so we hop in the car, and I say, you tell me when to turn. You know, that's always dangerous, right? So we're driving. They're like, turn here. I'm like, are you sure about that? You're like, yeah, yeah, turn. Okay. So we turn down the road, right? So we make our way all the way down to, to, to Mars Hill, and we look at them, and they say, it's great. So we, we're leaving and coming back, and she asked me this question. She's like, this is great. She's like, Daddy. 
I have a question. Okay? I said, if you've ever been in the village or been with Anna Catherine for more than five minutes, she's done this to you. I have a question. She's full of questions. Right? I said, what's your question? She said, is it wrong to be excited about receiving gifts at Christmas? And I said, yes. No, I'm just kidding. I said, no. Right. No. And so we started, and so I, I said, no, it's awesome, right? I talked about this, what we talked about last week. This is innocence and this beauty of, that, of receiving gifts and that God has, he's, he's God with me, right? God with us, God with me. That, no, we talked about this the beauty of receiving gifts and there's something wonderful that, that God pours himself out and God blesses us, right? But then we said, but, but, but the place of maturity at Christmas is not that I just only get excited about receiving, but that I, I become very aware of, of the joy of, of giving, right? And we talk about this, the nature of Christ's gift to us and this nature. Like, listen, and he gives us stuff so that we can give to others that are in need. So we had this beautiful conversation about, man, it's so beautiful and so wonderful to receive. And it's so beautiful and even more wonderful to take those things and, and to give away. And she goes, oh, that's so good, Daddy, because I, would felt, I just felt bad because I was so excited about receiving gifts. But I completely understand because, and here's the beautiful thing. She and Sarah, both my girls, they, they took the, they each bought each other gifts this year at the, the school, like the school racket. I mean, like the school, what's it called? Like the, the school store, right? Like, what a racket. It's like $15 or something. I'm like, seriously? But anyway, the school racket, I mean, the school store of like a buying stuff. And so they each took their own money and bought each other gifts. And like a week ago, they were so excited. They're like, you got to open it now. And so they each got this gift, and they were literally that, that, that greater excitement of giving to, uh, to your sister, which is like a love-hate relationship, right, with, with right? So this beautiful piece, and, and they just had this excitement. And she said, yeah, because I was giving to Sarah and all this type of stuff. And it's beautiful, this beautiful picture, right? And so when we talk then about this tension at Christmas, right, that's one of the things that Anna Catherine is naming, this tension of giving and receiving and Christmas and, and all this type of stuff. And so I want you to recognize this, this beautiful piece of Anna Catherine's question. Is it wrong to get excited about the gifts and the stuff? And absolutely not. It's wonderful. We should, excite, we should be excited. We should celebrate the receiving. We should celebrate the things that we receive. But we can't stop there, right? We talked last week about this, the, the innocent selfishness of, of receiving things that we enjoy. But the maturity of being those who recognize that it really is better to give than to receive and and growing into that. And so one of the things I want to look at this morning is, is just the picture of Jesus. We said last week that Jesus is our model, all right? So we all are like our, he's not a model, he is our model, right? He's modeled for us in life by his lifestyle, by his passions, by the things he gave himself to, the way that he handled himself, to be a model then for us of what we want to grow into. That's why it's called, why we're called disciples of Jesus. Disciples are simply one who are becoming like their teacher, right? That's all a disciple is. And so, obviously more than that, but in the essence, it's the one who becomes like their teacher. So, Jesus is the model for us, and therefore what he gave himself to, how he lived his life, and all these pieces is a model then of what we ourselves are growing into. That's why we call, call ourselves, we're growing into Christ's likeness, right? Christ's likeness, that people see us as if they're seeing Jesus, right? And so I want to I look at that through the lens of Joseph. Now, have you ever found yourself sitting back sometimes and looking at the story of Jesus or things from Scripture and kind of like... 
like all of a sudden saying, man, we, we think about it in a way we never have before, like thinking about things like you never thought before. Like, have you ever thought that God stayed in a womb for over nine months in Jesus? Like, have you ever thought about, so what was happening exactly with Jesus in the womb, right? Like, like he was human. And what did that look like? And that should cause me to go, uh-huh, I never really thought about that before. There's all types of things like that. Now, don't, now don't spend too much time because you're not going to figure it out, right? But, but there's this whole thing of like, man, that's crazy. I never really thought about that before. So, so I start thinking about Joseph. Now, we love Joseph. We know Joseph was married to, to Mary. He, was, he taught Jesus everything about carpentry. He died somewhere along the way. We don't know when. But have you ever thought about the fact of Joseph? And you see in the story of, of Matthew... Where one day over here, let's just call it a Tuesday, okay? Tuesday, everything's great. He's, he's, he's getting married to this woman that he's growing to fall in love with, right? He is, he is working hard. He's excited. Everything's going well. Wednesday, Mary says, hey, the Holy Spirit impregnated me. I'm having a baby. What? Right? And Joseph is a good man. And so as any good Jewish man would do, he says, I'm I'm divorcing you, right? I'm separating from you, but I'm going to do it in a quiet way so I won't bring shame upon you, right? It's a beautiful piece of of Joseph. We see this, the good nature of his heart. So he, he, he pulls himself away, going to divorce, separate from Mary, to do it in a quiet way so not to bring shame upon her like any good human being would do. So from Tuesday being a great day to Wednesday probably being the worst day of his life. So talk about extreme of emotions, right? And then you add to it on Wednesday evening, a 10 foot, I'm just saying that, 10 foot angel shows up and said, in, in his perfect James Earl Jones type voice, Joseph, right? We pick it up in Matthew 1, I'm not going to do the voice, by the way, but Matthew one twenty. Joseph, the angel speaks, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is in her belly is from the Holy Spirit. Who is in her belly is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So he goes from height to low to... Because no one gets super excited with a 10-foot angel in your room speaking to you in a James Earl S. type voice, right? There is fear. There is trepidation. There is, I am nothing, ah, right? So talk about the full range of emotions in about a 36-hour span for this poor human being, Joseph. Have you ever put yourself in his shoes? What does he do? Because he goes from excitement to sadness, to confusion. Why? Because when a ten-foot angel stands in the room with you and says he impregnated to the woman that you are about to divorce, and he's going to be the son of God, basically, and he's going to save the entire world from your sins, you don't go, oh, I get that. (laughs) You don't do that. You go, i got to process that. That's too much for me. And so Joseph's in the moment, having a moment. Like, just give me a second, right? Here's Joseph, the beautiful story, overwhelming, too much for us to handle. And Joseph is in the moment. And the part that gets me when I'm reading the story, the part that gets me 
is what did, what did Joseph, how did he process, what did he do when it says, name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. One of my favorite things in the, in the first couple of chapters of and tells, tells the early stories of Jesus and when Mary's involved, it says a couple of times, it says th- something would happen. And it says Mary, would pom- Mary pondered these things in her heart. Like it was always things like that were, were prophetically spoken, like Anna or Simeon come in the temple and said, Behold, the Messiah, the Son of God. It says, and Mary pondered these things in her heart, right? Pondering means I can't get my arms around it or my head around it. All I can do is just kind of ponder, think about and process because this is too much for me to handle. And Joseph is in one of these moments. And I think, you know, in the moment of like being uber excited and being uber scared and being uber sad, now very excited and very probably confused and trying like, what does he do? With this, when the angel says, and he will save his people from their sins. And I think we should have, the writer could have added, and Joseph pondered these things in his heart because it was too much to get his head around. In this moment of, of Joseph's confusion, the angel declares very clearly, this is the call This is the purpose of the life of Jesus. This is the purpose. This is the call. This is what's going to motivate him. This is his vision for every moment of every day of his life. He will be defined by his call to save his people from their sins. And then all of a sudden, for each of us to understand, we now understand what motivated every step and every action of the life of Jesus. And remember, Jesus modeled for us what we were and are to express in our own lives. And so Jesus was now sent to save the world, to save his people from their sins. And I'm telling you then, as a model to us, God is now saying, Jesus is now saying, I've modeled what it means to me by, to be my disciple. I am now calling you to, to live and express as my disciple, my follower, this same calling. The most simple way to say it is save the world is to love all. We're going to use that phrase this morning. The call upon Jesus' life and lots of things that he did, but ultimately the call in his life was to love all. And the call then for us is to love all. What is our responsibility? It's to share Jesus with a dying world so that they too may have eternal life and live with him for eternity. The same call upon Jesus It's the same call upon our life, what he modeled for us, and his life is now the model for all of of his followers. So you see what I'm getting at this morning. What Jesus modeled is us. What is that? To love all. What does this look like? The most succinct description in all of Scripture is in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. And I I want you to see the very, I want you to see verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5 is going through verse 8. Philippians says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Stop and press pause. 
Do you see what Paul's saying? He says, now listen, in all of your relationships with one another, I want you to follow the model of the mindset of Jesus. I want you to do what Jesus, I want you to have the same thing Jesus had. I want you to have a mindset. I want you to set your mind to do, to do this, right? A mindset. Set your mind. Decide to do this. Choose. And I will, and the Holy Spirit empowers that, but there's a choice in this. How do we know that? Because it says, Jesus, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his, uh, to his own advantage or to be grasped. Number seven, verse seven. Rather, he made himself a choice, right? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he willfully humbled himself, I added that word, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even a torturous death on a cross. For the joy set before him endured the cross, right? So I want you to see in this that you take all of this verse, right? Have the same mindset. Model what Jesus modeled. What is that? Most succinct word to describe all of these, these, these three verses is verse 7. Where he says, servant. You were called to be a servant, the very nature of a servant. And we may not you know, realistically understand what it means to be a servant. We may have never really been a good servant, but we understand theoretically what a servant is. A servant is not demanding. Hear this. A servant is not demanding. A servant is not self-focused. Instead, he or she is focused primarily on the needs of someone other than her or himself. Do you see that? Like why? Listen, who are your favorite waitresses and waiters at a restaurant? Is it the one who forgets about the sweet tea or the one who is continually walking by and serving you by thinking about your tea and your thirstiness, right? And all the salty foods you're eating versus going and getting paid. By somebody else, yes. Amen, right? We all look for those people. We want to sit. We name them by name. Hey, can I sit over here in so-and-so's? Why? Because they're a great servant. They serve me well. We all understand this, right? And so in the story, this servanthood defines the model Jesus exhibited in loving all. And, and, just in, and very heretically saying, Jesus was a great waiter. You see what I'm getting at, right? That Jesus was a great servant. Jesus came and served and loved all very well. That he put the needs of others before himself, right? He came in this nature of servanthood, defining this understanding of loving all. In this context of coming, it's like, it's not about me, it's about you. He said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to serve you through death. I'm going to serve the world through my death. So again, press pause, model for us to a world in need, called to love all as a servant, having the same mindset as Christ in our relationships with one another. Have you ever thought about this? Like, listen, at Christmas, it's so easy. Oh, Jesus came, Greg, yeah, right? Get a gift, Woo! But have you thought about the nature of and considered what he did? Like he literally like meditated, spent an hour, spent your drive time just thinking about, even if you're not a Christian, 
what if it's true that Jesus came? What if it's not just a mythological story? What if that happened? What would it, what would it mean for someone to leave heaven to come to earth? I mean, think about There's a phrase I'm going to put on the screen that I want you to think about. Jesus, this is, this is, here's a phrase, Jesus left all because he loved all so he could save all. Right? Jesus left all so that he could love all, so he could set all free, right? So he could save all. Jesus is our model. I mean, have you thought about what he left? I mean, literally, Anna Catherine, we were talking the other day, Anna Catherine and Sarah and I, and we were in the car, and they just asked the question, like, Dad, hey, what's, what's heaven like? I said, let me tell you all about it. I'm just kidding, I've never been there, right? But I said, let me just kind of give you the picture that I have of what heaven's like. I feel like I received, like several years ago, I was praying and meditating on heaven. This is going to be a really bad answer, right? It's going to fall short, but here's how I answer it. Um, just think about the best day you've ever had in your life. Think about the most gratified and satisfied you've ever felt in life. Think about the, the, the moment of greatest happiness that you've ever had. The moment of greatest joy. Think about the most, the most, the greatest joy. Think about the, the most, like, this life-giving laugh that you've ever had in your entire life. Think about the most just complete and comfortable and at peace and at rest you've ever felt in your life. She kept, she kept on going, okay, I got it. Okay, I got it, right? Okay, I got it. She had this whole thing, like, and I had this whole, like, things along those lines. This was gratified, satisfied, complete, full, joy-filled, happy, complete. All of those things you've ever felt in your life, take them like clay, lump them into one big ball all at the same time, and multiply it by a gazillion, and you just begin to taste what it's like to be in heaven for the rest of your life. And Jesus said it would be wise and best for me to leave that, to get into someone's womb for nine months and then be born into a stable with donkeys and sheep. That sounds awesome. I mean, seriously, have you ever contemplated this reality of what he left because he loved so he could save? And we need to contemplate these things. I must say contemplate. I mean, think about to the point where it actually affects me and how I view him. Jesus modeled for us this leaving to love, to set free. But the, one of the things I want you to think about is who did he come to exactly? All right? Because we have to follow his model. So everyone follow, pay attention, okay? You've got to follow this, Okay? So, so we're modeling, he modeled, but we have to then say, okay, next step, well, who did he connect with, right? Who did he connect with? Because here's the thing, anybody who's ever done mission work overseas, they will tell you, you take any classes on missions, the first thing, one of the first things they'll talk about is going and identifying yourself with the people you're ministering to, right? So if you're going to go to Africa, and you're going to minister well to these Africans living in a tribal situation, the last thing you want to do is go build some McMansion right next to them with your satellite dish, right, so you can get all the shows and get a bunch of servants and then leave that 
to go down to the lower people over here, right? Because what happens, unless you go into the place that they're living, unless you learn to speak the language that they're speaking, unless you become like one of them, you can never effectively minister to them. Why? Because you put a barrier up between you and them that you're a little bit better, you're a little bit outside, you're disconnected from them, right? And so if you're going to do missions, you're going to do ministry, you have to enter into a person's world. It's called the incarnation. It's a good Christian word, right? But becoming like someone so that you can effectively reach them, right? If I'm going, listen, if I'm going to effectively minister to a bunch of Trekkies, then I'm going to have to watch all of the Star Treks and become a Trekkie and go to their conventions with them, right? I have to enter into their world. And Jesus says, I'm here. I'm living my life. And and this lumped up sum multiplied by a gazillion, but I love, so I'm going to leave so that I can save. And how I I enter into the world should speak volumes about what I'm modeling. How I identified with the people I connected with, the level of solidarity I have with them should speak volumes to what I'm modeling. What did that look like? Well, it's pretty simple. In Luke chapter 2, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this to you. You know the story. Luke chapter 2 is the Linus version of the Christmas story, right? Remember Linus from Peanuts? He stands up with his blue blanket and says whatever, right? Behold, today in the town of Bethlehem, whatever. The whole thing. Then it skips on down, skips on down. Linus is now over. He's left the stage. Now someone else steps on stage, and they pick up verse 24. And it says in verse 24, it says, now that he said we came to consecrate Jesus, and they offered, listen, Mary and Joseph offered a sacrifice in keeping with the law, a sacrifice of a pair of doves or young pigeons. You usually skip right over that verse and don't think anything about it. But this speaks volumes. We could spend the next month on that. Because what Jesus is, what it's saying is, The Old Testament law, the Torah, right, which was the rules that God set up with Moses, said when you come in to consecrate a child, come and make a sacrifice of a lamb. That's what we're used to, right? Come and make a sacrifice of a lamb unless you are too poor and you can come and bring two, a pair of doves or young pigeons. And all of a sudden they go, ding, 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 ding. I get it. What did you get? Jesus was born into utter poverty. Jesus was, if that's the case, then he's identifying himself with the poor. He's leaving this place to come to give himself in real life every day to the poor, to the broken, to the hurting, to the marginalized, to the oppressed, and to the forgotten. Think about it. We've talked about it a hundred times. Jesus was not born at Kennestone Hospital, right? He was not born even in a house. He was born in a manger. Let's put it in today's language. He was born in one of the back alleys of the of Atlanta 
And the most marginalized and most uh, disconnected group in Judaism was the shepherds who they invited to come. It'd be like inviting the homeless on the streets of Atlanta to come and to witness the birth of Jesus and then send them out to proclaim, hey, today the Jesus, the Messiah has been born. How many of you listen to crazy homeless people when they run past you in the streets of Atlanta screaming at you? Nobody. No one gave a rip about what the shepherds were saying. They were common petty thieves you did not listen to. Oh, and the other great people that they invited were the tarot card readers called the Magi. Who listens to those New Age freaks? Nobody. You don't invite them to your birth. I said last week, right? Don't invite those crazy people to your child's birth, right? Don't put the tarot cards away. We're Christians, right? But Jesus said, hey, you're the people who want to invite to come. Why? Because the people who were most marginalized, forgotten, disconnected, and hopeless are the reason that Jesus came. Why? Because he loved all. He, my friends, is our model, and we should all have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, that when we love one another and we serve with the best part of ourselves to those who are disconnected, disenfranchised, overwhelmed, oppressed, and forgotten. We're called to love all. We are called to love all. Jesus left all because he loved all, so that he could save all. The story we see is of Jesus is his solidarity, his oneness, right? His union, his identification with the poor, the broken, the needy, the harassed, and the helpless. Jesus left heaven for those people. And then Paul does this beautiful work, I believe, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to, to bring some level of of, 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 of awareness to all followers of Jesus of the state of their lives apart from Jesus. It says in chapter 8, verse 9, For we know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Listen, he's not talking about physical wealth. Because it can't be physical wealth. If you, listen, you can't be considered wealthy if you can't take it. Well, only, only, the only thing that can define you as wealthy are the things you can take with you, right? Because the only reason he would call you wealthy is if it's something that makes you wealthy for eternity. And money can't make you wealthy for eternity. The only thing that can make you wealthy for eternity are the blessings of eternal life found in Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, he's saying, Paul's saying, listen, remember the grace, this this power of Jesus that he left his richness to literally become physically poor so that through his physical poverty, you might become spiritually rich. The blessings of eternal life. And all of a sudden in this moment, Every one of us are lumped into a, at least a place of, of spiritual poverty, right? Of spiritual need. Yes, the, the physical need. He's talking about those two, right? He's talking about the spiritual, the physically pover, uh, impoverished. But he's also putting lumping all of us in here saying, no one is better than another. You're not better than anyone who's poor. You're not better than anyone on the streets of anywhere in the world. You're all in poverty apart from Jesus, And so in this stage, he's coming and saying, listen, so therefore I've modeled for you who I came for. 
And it's for everyone impoverished, everyone who's broken, everyone who's hurting, everyone who is lost. I've given my life as a servant, not to be, listen, I'm modeled for you what it means to be a servant. Does your life look like this? Because I've called you to love all, could have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, to live your life as a servant. I've modeled for you to love all. Who is that? The broken, the hurting, the disconnected, the impoverished, the oppressed, the marginalized, every single person in the world. Listen, I'm going to go political just real quick. Some of you are going to hate me. I'm okay with it. Hear this. If you want to build a fence between us and Mexico, that's fine. But you better go over the fence to reach those that are in need. Because Jesus is already among them. And we have to wrestle with the fact that maybe he's saving them by bringing them here. Because he knows he can't make it there because they're dying. You've got to wrestle through these things. You have to think through the lens of theology. Theologically. Theological thing. I don't care. Build a fence, but you better cross over it to go to those that are in need. Why? Well, because Matthew 25. Turn your Bibles there. I want you to see this and read on the screen with me. Verse 25, Matthew 25, starting in verse 35. Jesus is speaking very clearly. He says this, for when, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Do you see what's happening here? Just look at that. Just, just put that verse back up there. Put verse 40 back up there. When I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least, one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Just leave it up there. So in this moment, Jesus is coming and he's speaking, saying, listen, hear, hear this. If you want to find me, you will find me among the poor. If you want to find me, you will find me among the broken. If you want to find me, you will find me among the oppressed. Because they're looking and he's so closely linked with them because of his undeniable love and his passion for them that they were not able to distinguish the poor from Jesus, the broken from Jesus. If you want to find Jesus, it's going to mean you're going to, have to go among the poor, the broken, the hurting and the impoverished, the oppressed and the forgotten. Why? Because that's where Jesus hangs out. Good friend Alicia Hara, front row, she raised her hand, but she's too embarrassed. Listen, she was at Pepperdine. She had the scholarship to go. I'm embarrassing right now. She's mad at me, right? She's sitting there in the moment. As a, as a freshman, your freshman, right? Your freshman year of college, she goes down to Guatemala. And she stays. Left school. I thought she was terrible for doing it. I thought she was totally wrong for doing it. Just kidding, right? I'm going, I'm not sure this is the best idea. But she's like, I came. 
and I saw, and I'm now living among these orphans in Guatemala. We said in yesterday, and I'm just, I'm overwhelmed, right? I'm trying to help, but at the same time, am I helping? I'm like, I'm humble because you're doing things that I, that we should be doing, that I should be doing. I'm overwhelmed. Why? Because she's identified herself. She's learned the language. She's given herself. And she's talking about how do we take these children and embrace them, engage them, get them over all this, this sexual abuse that they've experienced. How do we empower them? How do we release them? This is engulfing her life to the point. I had to look at her yesterday and say, listen, I love you too much. You're completely unaware of your needs. And we have to take care of you because if we don't, you will burn out. She's like, oh, she said something along the lines, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about myself. I hadn't thought about myself. She's over here thinking, I'm not that great. You're making me sound better than I am, right? But she's doing this. Listen, I'm about to really go into her, I can't. Listen, she makes not enough to live. She made $200 a month this past year. I told you to make more. You need to give her a check today. Because there's this nature that when we get among the poor, she would say, I can't leave them because there's an essence of Jesus I've experienced among them that I haven't experienced anywhere else in the world. And how could I leave that? Because he's present. Listen, when we live our lives among the poor, listen, it could be poor in Guatemala or it could be the broken. Listen, I've got people on my street who are spiritually impoverished. They are dying, separated from God, and going to hell and don't even know it. And their lives are miserable. And God called us to move into our street to be Jesus to them. There's no extremes in the eyes of Jesus. There's just those in poverty. Brother Teresa, when asked, how did you receive your call to work with the poor? She responded, and hear this, I said it before, I was not called to work with the poor. I was called to follow Jesus, and I followed him to the poor. Do you see how that works? Listen, we don't have a calling to the poor. We have a calling to Jesus. We have a calling to be with him. And if we're with him, it's going to take us to those places of broken, impoverished, and needy, and broken, and hurting, right? It's going to take us to the people who offend us. We're going to live in offense at the actions that they do and just recognize the reason they're doing that is because they don't know Jesus. We should expect the unsaved and the non-Christian to be to live like pagans and heathens. I was called to follow Jesus and I followed him to the poor. One of the interesting things about us as human beings, and this is really wise, is that we invest our lives and ourselves into the things that have greatest value, don't we? We invest our time, our money, money and our energy into the things that have their greatest value and they give us, they give us the, the greatest return on our investment, don't we, right? We, we value things and the things that are valuable, we invest into those because we know they're going to give us great returns. So we spend a lot of time with our kids because... Why? You love being loved, right? You spend time with your spouse, right? Why? Because you loved being loved. You, you spend time with your friends because it makes you feel alive, right? You go and do your hobbies, invest time in those. Why? Because they make you feel alive, right? All those pieces. So, so we invest ourselves into the things that we put our greatest value in. Isn't it interesting that Jesus spent most of his life with the poor, broken, needy, and impoverished? What does that mean? It means he found his greatest value and found his value and his greatest investment and return on his investment by giving himself to the poor, broken, impoverished, and hurting. He simply modeled for us. Listen, 
Let me, let me tell you something. Everybody listen. You want to find joy in life? It's real simple. Find your greatest joy by bringing joy, by serving the greatest in need in our world. Right? John Piper calls it Christian hedonism. It's beautiful. Talked about it in worship and prayer and all these pieces and marriage. Man, we find our greatest joy by giving our lives away to others, not by standing there hoarding, demanding somebody give me stuff. It's Christmas, right? Is it, is it okay to receive, Dad? Yes. But the deeper place is in giving it all away. We live our lives, right, investing ourselves into the things we place value in with the hope of a great return. Jesus found those people in the poor. So three primary things, a mindset of Jesus, the things we need to process and think about. I want you to write these things down and meditate on this week. Number one, things that we need to process. Where is our vision? Where's our vision? You understand vision. I set myself focusing here. My vision is focused here, and it defines the path that I take, right? What's your vision? What's the thing out in front of you that you're going after, right? What in your life defines your vision? What are you focused on? What are you moving towards? Listen, you have a vision. You have a vision. Each of you do. There's some vision out here that you're moving towards, what is it? Now, some of us have a muddled vision, and, like, and it's like we're living in fogs. So we just go in circles. Listen, I've been in a boat, and I've literally started at one point in the fog, thinking I was going straight, and then it right back to the place that I began. I'm like, I'm going to wait till the fog clears, <laughs> right? It's like, no, there's a vision we're setting ourselves towards. Some of us are going in circles, but we set our, our minds somewhere. What's your vision? Jesus very clearly sets the parameters. Everybody hear this. He sets the boundary for our vision, whether you know it or not. It's called the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what he does, he says, all right, here is the guardrails. Here's what you have to look between. Your vision, your vision, which is modeled by me, is defined by loving me with all of yourself and loving your neighbor as yourself. So the question I have for you is how is your division, your vision, you got to process this, how is your vision, what you're going after, defined by the call of God on your life, what God modeled? How is everything you do and move towards affected by God, God, God's guardrails? How is, I'd love to sit here and just tell stories about people, how they had to choose service because they wanted to do this, but they did this instead, but how great the reward was in giving their lives away, right? Vision. So vision's out here, but our values, right? The next thing is values. What do we ultimately value? Like, what do we value in life that we put our primary investment in? So our vision defines our values, doesn't it? I look out here and say, well, this is what helps me accomplish my vision. So I'm going to put my greatest investment into these things in my life so to help me do this. And the greatest thing that Jesus valued in his life is loving God. And then loving all, everyone around him, didn't he? He loved them. He sacrificed. He gave his life, right? He, he valued people, the broken, the hurting, he valued all of us to set them, so he could set them free from their sin and their brokenness. Jesus valued people. Now, it cost him, just as valuing people will also cost us like it, it did Jesus, right? But for the joy set before him, he did that. Why? Because we find our greatest joy in by bringing joy to someone else. It's this deep place. So the call then for us is simple. It's real simple. Love all. Love everyone. And you go, that's really, that's really hard, right? Because all 
represents billions of people. So how do I do that? Simply by starting, this is real simple, simply by starting loving the person in front of you. Mother Teresa said this. I love this line. She says, if I, if I, myself, says, if I look at the masses, I won't act. If I look at the one, I will. So how do you begin that? It's real simple today. Someone starts talking to you, and you fully engage in listening. Right? You look them in the eyes, and you don't cut them off. You don't stop listening. You don't, you don't plan your response in advance. You fully listen. Because here's the thing. There's, we talked about it in staff one day. Timothy was very wise. Something he read. There's no such thing as multitasking people. There's just tasking. Because multitasking, you can't be 100% engaged in two things at one time. Why? Because part of you is engaged in one thing and part of you is engaged in another thing. There's no such thing as multitasking. Ladies, I know you can say that there is men. You can't do it either, right? Especially men, right? Literally, men are, we're, we're, we're struggling here, right? But you can't multitask. You're either fully engaged or you are not. And so what I'm saying to you, the place to begin is in the relationship that you're in, you're fully engaged with, listen, with the person who is EGR. Extra grace required. You know those people? The people extra grace required, like, oh, Jesus, I need you. <laughs> right? person who's going to be going to take time. It's going to cost something. It's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be difficult. But we're fully engaged. We're fully giving ourselves. We're loving them. We're listening. Loving and listening, engaged, giving the best of ourselves in conversation. Not loving. We're loving all of us, starting by loving one. The third thing is solidarity. Jesus' birth birth modeled a solidarity, a union, and an identification with those who were broken. He did it by his lifestyle. He lived connected, right? Solidarity involved a high level of intentionality. He chose it, and it's not easy to choose, right? Remember, Jesus left wealth. He left power. He left position to love, to serve, and to sacrifice for those who had nothing. Second Corinthians 8 9, I repeat it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, in your poverty, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This Christmas, let me tell you very clearly, it's not okay to tell Jesus' story only. You can't just go tell the Christmas story. You have to live it out. You have to show it. You have to express it. You have to live it out every day of your life. Why? Because you've been called to model and have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the very nature of a servant as a model for us of loving all. And we're called to do it like Jesus, right? Not telling the story, but expressing and living the story to the one who's in front of us and every day looking for the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And if all of a sudden we all begin to embrace the loving of one, then all of us are loving someone and all the, then, then we begin to really truly love all because why? There's one out there we're giving our lives to and sacrificing and service and of loving them, right? And so if Christmas, listen, if Christmas, changed the world 2,000 years ago, then imagine if it could still change the world through us today as we model the life of Jesus and love all 
by fixing our vision, our values, and choosing solidarity and union with those who need him most. And the paradox is, I find my greatest joy in service and of giving joy to others. How are we doing that with our families and how are we doing it individually this Christmas? Let's pray. Father, this morning we we worship you and we thank you, Father, for your great solidarity, union, and love for us, Jesus, that we were part of the all that you love. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you would simply speak into our lives. I pray that you begin to speak into us about the person that you're calling us to love. God, I pray just grace upon us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.